As we begin 2023, here's a New Year's resolution you can actually keep. Eat more chocolate. Extensive research demonstrates the remarkable benefits of daily cocoa flavanols on brain and heart function. So I searched high and low for cocoa products that deliver meaningful amounts of healthful flavanols with great flavor and minimal sugar. I'm thrilled to found Flava Naturals. Flava Naturals Performance Dark Chocolate Bars and Cocoa Powder deliver five to nine times the flavanols of typical dark chocolate. Their secret is sourcing premium high flavanol cocoa beans and processing them naturally. The result is decadent dark chocolate with the flavanol levels needed to fuel brain and cardio performance. I use it every day. Flava Naturals is a New Year's resolution you'll actually keep. To order, just go to flavanaturals.com. That's flavanaturals.com. There you can also check out the latest research, including a recent Harvard study showing a 27% reduction in cardiovascular death. Plus, get great recipes at flavanaturals.com. Flavanaturals.com. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Today, we're going to tackle uh, a subject that we haven't tackled here on Intelligent Medicine, a subject that uh, I find uh, fascinating. Uh, we're going to talk to the author of a book entitled Psychedelics for Everyone, a beginner's guide to these powerful medicines for anxiety, depression, addiction, PTSD, and expanding consciousness. Uh, the author is today's guest, Matt Zeman, and he is uh, a master's in science. Uh, he is uh, the CEO and co-founder of an outfit called Happy, a mental wellness company specializing in psychedelic-assisted ketamine therapy, along with digital therapeutics that promote life-transforming outcomes. We'll find out more about that and you know just as a, as a preface uh i'm not necessarily advocating this i don't take psychoactive drugs but i have some experience because i went to college in the 1970s and the last time uh, i imbibed uh, some of these substances was over 50 years ago and these days, I'm trying to refine my focus and mental clarity for the purposes of productivity. So I don't trip or use psychedelics. But hey, this is a real phenomenon. Uh, it's surging in popularity. And we're taking a new look at uh, these agents. Uh, it's got real mental health potential, according to burgeoning scientific research. And whether or not you're contemplating use of these agents, I think you'll find this discussion fascinating, uh, as do I. So without further ado, uh, here's Matt Zeman. Matt, uh, it's a pleasure having you on Intelligent Medicine. Thanks for joining us, and congratulations on the book. Thank you, and I appreciate you having me. Oh, well, you are a self-confessed psychonaut. Not a psycho nut, but like an astronaut, <laughs> N-A-U-T on the end. And so, you know, that the, the uh, implication is that uh, you're an explorer, that you have uh, uh, investigated and uh, utilized some of these uh, psychoactive drugs. And uh, you've sort of done a deep dive on this subject. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, this was a, it was all kind of by accident. I'm an accidental psychonaut. 
um, where almost four years ago, some friends invited me onto a guided psychedelic journey. They had hired a guide, and I wasn't a drug user. I really wasn't even that big of a drinker. But uh, yeah, they convinced me that it was it was uh, going to be worth my time and I'd learn about myself. And in that six, seven-hour experience, my whole view of the world changed and shifted. Um, I was able to reconnect with my mom, who died when she was just 49, had a, a number of different insights, and immediately left that experience thinking, I need to learn more about this. Uh, I need to go back to school, and um, and I need to make this part of my life. And uh, so fast forward, uh, a, a master's degree later, and... Um, yeah, this is this is it is a I've experienced a number of different types of medicines and uh, different types of deliveries. And it's a I, I find it to be absolutely fascinating and, and can do so much good in the world. And, and you say in the book, and I'm quoting, uh, I don't believe everyone should take psychedelics, but I do believe psychedelics are for everyone. So that almost sounds a little bit paradoxical. Uh, what did you mean by that? Yes, what, it, what this book is geared for, and actually, and just the philosophy is, there are people who, for a number of different reasons, are going to find their way to psychedelic um, medicine or psychedelics, whether it's for medicinal purposes, religious purposes, human optimization purposes, um, and it's going to work for them. There's going to be a whole bunch of other people who say, no, I, I don't want to use psychedelics, but they still, I think it's important that they understand what does the research say. Why are people doing this? What is the what are what types of people are using these these types of drugs? And that might impact how they vote, how they think about a loved one who is, uh, or how they can help their their loved ones or their friends and family with uh, with challenges that they're experiencing. So I think it's important for society that we get past this prohibition that we've been living under since the uh, Controlled Substances Act of 1970. We get past that. We look at the research, and we uh, we allow these medicines to go help the people that that uh, that are looking for it. Well, you 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 really uh, make the case for removing the stigma around psychedelics. You know, obviously there was uh, the psychedelic revolution that uh, some of us baby boomers participated in. Uh, you know, following uh, the guidance of people like Timothy Leary. Uh, to uh, drop acid and take uh, mescaline and psilocybin and, you know, experience trips. Uh, but uh, there's kind of a new look at psychedelics and their potential medical utility. On the other hand, uh, there's also this notion of uh, exploration. And, and we know that, you know, it's been said that most people lead lives of quiet desperation. They, they simply cope. But without profound spiritual experiences such as ancient cultures enjoyed through various religious rites aided by psychoactive substances like peyote and ayahuasca, ayahuasca. if I'm pronouncing yeah. it correctly, and things like toad venom and ibogaine, uh, which were considered sacraments. But on, on the other hand, you know, some of the, the same homeless Burnt-out folks that are inhabiting the streets of Haight-Ashbury, Portland, Seattle, and Vancouver are the uh, human husks who kind of rolled the dice on LSD and other mind-altering human drugs in the wake of the Summer of Love. So how do we reconcile uh, those two 
uh, views of, of life. You know, on the one hand, yes, you know, let's explore consciousness. But on the other hand, uh, let's not, uh, you know, as uh, as Alan Ginsberg once said in his poem, Howl, I saw the best minds of my generation go stark raving mad. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great poem. Great line. Um, I think you just covered a, a bunch of really interesting points. And uh, I want to draw kind of the, the listener's attention to a couple of them. I want to first talk about for just a moment that for hundreds, for thousands of years, many of these uh, drugs were sacraments. They were a way for people to commune with a higher power, whatever that was that, that looked like to them. Until I started down this path, I thought we had religious freedom in this country. I thought that's what this country was uh, was founded on. And it was really eye-opening to realize that, oh no, not all religions are created equal. Um, and that people who, who want to follow this practice and say, okay, I want to follow this lineage and use these sacraments to commune, I'm not allowed um, or I'm not supposed to. And, and I think that's really interesting. It's 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 that our, our government is saying, no, you, 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 we're going to tell you how to think or how to what to believe, and and how to believe, and that these medicines are not appropriate. But but Matt, the aren't, 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 excuse me, aren't, aren't certain exceptions made for people in a, in a cultural context? You know, say Native Americans on a reservation, if that's part of their cultural heritage, they get a little bit of a carve out for utilizing, say, peyote buttons. You know, for uh, certain things, or, or is that uh, you know across the board prohibition? That's a really good point. So there, there's a there's a carve out with the Native American Church. There's <clears throat> there's a carve out with ayahuasca with one of the uh, Brazilian uh, churches. Mm -hmm. There's a number of people who have applied for religious exemptions um, that just have even either gone ignored or um, have been denied. Um, but yeah, there are a couple carve outs, but not a lot, and it's it's very unclear. There's a process to ask for a carve out but part of even asking for the carve out you have to get you have to um attest that you will not practice with these sacraments until this the, it was determined whether you're allowed a carve out or not mm -hmm. so it's a um so that it's, it's just a risky path for people to go down when the uh when the exemptions are not there is really no process that a public process on, on what to do the second thing you talked about is 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 some of the things that we all grew up with about okay you're going to lose your mind drugs are bad you're going to get addicted um, you're going to become a human husk um, none of that the, the way we schedule drugs in America is not based on science and you know this better than than I do Dr. Hoffman I mean you you uh, there's so many studies on 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 these medicines that show how much more dangerous things like alcohol and tobacco are than mushrooms and, and LSD. Even uh, MDMA is way on the right side of that chart um, in terms of harm to self and harm to others. Um, so like anything, I mean, the dif difference between what medicine and poison, medicine and poison is dose. Um, yeah, you can cause harm with, with a lot of different drugs. But these drugs, when used uh, respectfully, um, when used in medicinal uh, practice, when used in religious sacrament, um, uh, when used with trained facilitators in, in, in a human optimization perspective, these are relatively safe 
medicines to use um, and can do a lot of good, which you, which you also referenced. Uh, there's over 300 academic institutions either studying psychedelics or at the psychedelic centers. And almost daily, we're seeing the actual data, the research coming out and saying, wow, look what this can do for depression, for anxiety, for eating disorders, for OCD, for substance use. Um, so yeah, there, there is a risk with everything. It needs to be respected. But there's a lot of good that can happen here. Indeed. You know, I was really uh, taken aback uh, over the holidays when, uh, you know, a bunch of our family men- members gathered. And uh, I was talking to uh, uh, one family member who was a woman in her 70s. And, you know, frankly, she's a little bit, uh, you know, unconventional. Uh, but uh, she uh, then shared with me that she's microdosing uh, psilocybin. <laughs> and, I, and I said, wow, that's really incredible. And, you know, what's it like? She says, well, I'm not really sure because I'm not really feeling much of an effect. So she's really there. So really, we have to kind of uh, distinguish between microdosing and, you know, these kind of psychedelic journeys, these trips, you know, for want of a better word, you know, where people uh, go into sort of a hallucinatory state and, you know, maybe, you know, commune with uh you know with uh dead relatives or or you know maybe review a traumatic experience uh and put it into a different context you know where there's literally a uh a total change in context so it's almost like there's there's this distinction between the microdosing effects which may have impact on dopamine and serotonin and certain neurotransmitters in a subtle way much like ordinary antidepressants have yeah, I mean, there's there's a, there's a group called the Microdose Collective that's doing some really interesting work in this, uh, trying to legalize microdosing. But it, it it is always interesting to me, Dr. Hoffman, that people, I mean, it sounds like she's doing it actually correctly. When you do, when you're microdosing, it's a sub-perceptual amount of this medicine, one-tenth to one-twentieth of a typical dose. Mm-hmm. And um, and you're not, you're, you shouldn't feel that it's sub-perceptual, it, but at the same time, kind of underneath the covers it, it, or underneath the uh, the hood, the blues are a little bluer. The uh, sky's a little brighter. There's a, uh, a decrease in depression or anxiety, a, uh, an increase in connectivity and love. Um, at least that's what some of the research is showing. Um, but I think there are people who, who start, who use microdosing kind of as an entryway. They're not sure what to do, so they start with that. And it's and it's wildly different than macrodosing, where you're going to have, like you said, these. Um, depending on which me- medicine you take, you're going to use for, um, yeah, wildly different experiences with the visuals and the the um, out of body experiences and the again connecting to a higher power or or reliving, re-exploring trauma and trying to heal some of those wounds from uh, from years ago. And of course, there's the distinction between the clinical trials that are run at you know major uh, medical centers and university hospitals versus uh, the kind of self experimentation that some people are uh, undergoing. You know, they're going on vision quests to say Brazil or Mexico, uh, or they're obtaining uh, these uh, hallucinogens in various ways. You know, because there is kind of a gray market for these things. Um, what's the distinction between those two? ways of uh experiencing uh psychedelics it's interesting it's it's so when we look at the best practices that groups like j 
Johns Hopkins are, 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 are really putting out to the world. And they're talking about in a medicinal practice that they're going to have a male and a female person in the room to balance the energy. They're going to still have a ceremony. Um, they're going to have some level of therapy prior to a, a medicinal experience. They're going to have a music playlist. Um, so we, we talk about kind of a set setting and source. So, so I'll work back. I mean, the source is, do you have pure medicine? Do you know what you, mm-hmm. you're taking? Right. The, um, the setting or the set is your mindset. So they want to make sure the, the person, the, in this case, the clinical trial participant, understands what are they about to do? What mm-hmm. is it going to feel like or could it feel like? It sets some intentions. Maybe there's a goal or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then setting is that they're going to be in a place that they're not going to be disturbed, that they're going to be, um, they're surrounded, they're, they feel safe and loved and cared for, and um, and that they can really take this time to journey within. So that's 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 kind of a medical setting. A really good, you, you think you used a gray market term or, or uh, underground might be the word I would use. Um, or above ground in just different countries. Retreat experience does very similar things. Um, and a, a good retreat or a good facilitator is still going to do a medical intake and make sure you're not going to have any contraindications between the medicines you're taking and the medicine they're serving you. Um, a, a good facilitator is going to educate you in advance about what's going to happen. They're going to really take some time to understand your intention. Um, a good facilitator is going to... Um, Make sure you're in a safe container that uh, that they're serving you pure medicine, mm-hmm. and that you're in a place where you can be undisturbed and uh, and have that journey within. So there there's a lot of overlap or best practice between the medicinal and the underground or international retreat market. In Does the that book, make sense, Doctor Hoffman? Yeah, well, absolutely. I think you're explaining it very well. Um, in the book, you describe—I mean, there are actually many anecdotes, you know, of people describing their personal experiences with regard to various uh, issues. Uh, and you know, we can talk about uh, the various applications of this because uh, in the subtitle of the book, uh, you address anxiety, depression, addiction, PTSD, uh, and simply expanding consciousness. But uh, there actually may even be room for. Uh, addressing painful syndromes. Um, but you actually describe your own uh, experience that kind of awakened you to the potential for this. Or, or uh, Do you want to share that uh, as you did in the book? I'm happy to. Now, which, which one are you talking about? The one with my mom or the one with the family member? The family member, yeah. Because there was a, like a history of, uh, yeah, I, I guess we can't really call it abuse, but uh, inappropriate sexual contact uh, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, left you with... Uh, some degree of uh, guilt and confusion, and and then uh, what impact did your psychedelic experience have on that? Yeah, this one's particularly interesting to me because I, I didn't go into a psychedelic journey thinking about that pa- experience in the past. So for, for those listening who haven't read the book, um, when I was an early teenager, I had some inappropriate sexual contact with a family member about 10 years older. And, um, and I just kind of, I tucked it away. I was mortified, um, just truly deeply embarrassed by the whole situation. Um, I didn't talk about it, it, but periodically someone would mention something and like I could feel it, my ears getting red or my cheeks flushing or something, a pit in my stomach. So it was there, but it was deeply buried. And in, in a uh, psychedelic experience, 
I found myself right back in that the last uh, situation um, with that particular person. Certainly not where I wanted to be. Um, but in that experience, like, like I was a like a flashback. To, but it but it there was a there was something about the psychedelic state that enabled you to be an observer in a more uh, less emotionally laden way. So that's absolutely true. I mean, it, what we talk about is, is some some of these psychedelic medicines can remove the shame, the blame, and the guilt. Mm-hmm. So you can just look at the situation. And in this case, I was able to look at at this person and say, you know, I don't, I don't forgive or condone the actions that she took, but I also can understand how unloved she was feeling and how she was dealing with substance use challenges and how. Um, she was competing with a with a sibling who was doing better than her and that her father had essentially rejected her and just in a very tough situation so again without forgiving or condoning i could see her as a human and not as a predator and i could also see that i wasn't in charge i was just i it was uh these are these are these are responses normal human responses and um and it's okay. Um, I don't need to hold on to it. I don't need to be embarrassed about this. I don't need to um, be mortified anymore. Um, and I could have compassion and, and forgiveness for, for, for this person um, and, and empathy. And I can move on. So and it, after, it, helped you, it helps you to contextualize it in a more uh, objective way with a sense of compassion and, and uh, uh set it right in, in effect i mean you know actually one of the tenets of you know freudian psychotherapy is to relive experiences like that and process them uh you know bring them to the surface you know the whole idea of you know lying on the couch and uh you know experiencing them and um in effect uh, you know releasing the pressure valve uh, that re- of repressed memories yeah that, that's right on um and for me, it, it, that was just so healing. So when, so now when I, so now fast forward and I look at a study, um, and I'll, I'll take the the multidisciplinary association of psychedelic studies has been really hyper focused on a specific medicine called MDMA. Many of mm-hmm. your listeners might have known it as ecstasy when they were younger. Is it not synonymous and with the work- love drug, the so called love drug? Correct. That That's yeah, synonymous okay. with that. Mm-hmm. And, and these, it's, a, it's uh, popular in raves. I mean, you know, kids take correct. it for these long dance sessions. And yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and MAPS has sponsored a series of trials with people who have treatment-resistant post-traumatic stress disorder. So think about veterans and first responders mm-hmm. and victims of sexual assault where nothing's worked, none of the existing medications, none of the existing talk therapy. They've been treatment resistant. What they're finding, and again, this is phase three clinical trials, with just three sessions with MDMA, 67% no longer qualify as having PTSD. Wow. And I just want to, I mean, just let that sink in. Mm -hmm. 67% of this population that's been suffering that, and there's a medicine out there that can potentially help them. That's a big number. It's a lot of uh, that's a lot of pain. It's a lot of families that don't have to ha- endure the uh, the challenges they've been enduring. 
So there, there's um, great promise with that. But then, of course, there's a the potential for abuse. And from what I've read in the medical literature, there's a potential if you overuse this habitually, uh, MDA, MDMA in, in particular, uh, that it can kind of burn out your serotonin circuits and it can induce kind of a you know, kind of a hollow feeling or a uh, dysphoria or, or depression because of inappropriate usage. So it's these these as with any medication, these are two edged swords. There's appropriate applications and then there are frivolous applications and abuse. Sure. And I, I like that you're saying I, I mean I think you're 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 right on. all of these medications, um, when abused can can have problems, can be problematic. And the abuse can be just too much in terms of dosage. It can be too much in terms of frequency. Um, it can be the setting. Um, but when you, but to have them scheduled, and then this, I, I think this needs to be clear. The current scheduling of these drugs is that they have no medicinal mm-hmm. use yeah. whatsoever. So it's, it's very binary. It's either they're okay and, you know, they can be prescribed like regular prescription drugs or else they're illegal in effect. <laughs> well, and more than illegal. I mean, there's there's lots of drugs that are in different schedules that, that have medicinal use, but you still can't buy them um, easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, but th- this, the, the fact that we, we labeled these drugs and we told the world they don't do anything medically. And we know they do. This is the part that I just, I, I didn't know all this. I believed what I grew up listening to. That's why I wasn't a drug user. That, okay, there's no, no benefit of here. It's only, only downside. Um, and it's just not true. So we have, we have FDA now giving breakthrough therapy designation to this drug. They're doing the similar thing with psilocybin where if you take a, a, somebody has a, ter- let's take a terminal cancer patient. They don't have six to 14 weeks to mess around with an antidepressant that might or might Mm -hmm. not work. Mm -hmm. When in one psilocybin session, they can have tremendous relief from their depression and and a lift of their anxiety. They can feel more connected to their family. And in many cases, they can have a a spiritual awakening that can make them less afraid of what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. How do we, like again, this is where psychedelics are for everyone. You don't have to take it. But can you understand that, that there are people out there who this could this can do a lot of good for them? Do, do you feel and it we possibly need to vote is. and we need to encourage our, our, our congressmen and our and our our representatives to to legalize this, to, mm-hmm. to make these medicines available? And yes, are there risks? Absolutely. And are is there and as there is with alcohol and tobacco and with driving a car. So and, we can put guardrails on the it. Legalization of marijuana is maybe the nose under the tent that may uh, grease the skids for greater acceptance of these, uh, you know, once considered illicit drugs. I think so. I mean, I think that I think cannabis, when it the way it rolled out, um, there's so much recreational use. Marijuana is something that people do on, on a much more frequent basis. And again, nothing wrong with it. It just just is a different type of type of drug. You're not. When you do psilocybin, you're not immediately saying, oh, I, I need to do that again, or mm-hmm. ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just a different type of – most of these uh, classic psychedelics are anti-addictive. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, I think what cannabis the, the, has, has certainly shifted the world's pop, uh, perspective on drugs, and I think, um, I, I think these become – let me try one more – let me try a different approach, Dr. Hoffman. Sure. I think – 
with 40 with antidepressants not working with roughly 40% of the population give mm-hmm. or take that's acknowledged and having this huge side effect price tag sexual dysfunction gastrointestinal issues weight gain lethargy suicidal ideation and i think people are demanding something different and the fact that there is something available that doesn't require that doesn't get you addicted to itself as a medicine it's uh i think i think we're seeing more and more people in society saying it's not acceptable that we don't have access to this and that's where oregon as a state had a valid initiative and, and changed the rules colorado did the same thing we're seeing many cities decriminalizing psychedelics it's um they're just too important to not have access and the book that you've written psychedelics for everyone a beginner's guide to powerful medic medicines for anxiety depression addiction ptsd and expanding consciousness uh is available and is a clarion call for um uh exploration and uh increased access to these potentially uh life-changing therapies so in part two uh i want to continue our discussion we'll talk about some of the other potential applications uh one drug that is very popular these days uh ketamine uh goes Mm -hmm. is not technically a psychedelic uh it's actually uh, hypnotic it's categorized as a hypnotic used as an anesthetic but it's now being popularized for treatment of depression anxiety and even conditions like fibromyalgia. So we'll explore that and other issues in part two with today's guest, Matt Zeman. Thank you very much for listening. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast, part two coming up.